Well, good morning. My name is Corey. Welcome to Trace. So glad that you guys are here. Uh, the song that you just heard, or those of you all that are listening to this online, uh, it's uh, by Hillary Scott, and it's called Thy Will Be Done. I saw some of you guys, I was just watching you, um, you were resonating with that song, uh, because that, that is a song that uh, one person wrote in response to the pain of their life. Uh, pain is real, and pain really sucks. As a matter of fact, that is why we're in this series right now called Pain Sucks. It's, it stinks. There's nothing really good about it when you're enduring it. It's, it's, it's painful. In the last couple of weeks, we've actually we've, we've dealt with the pain of addiction. And, and last week, you heard from my wife, and she talked about the pain of, of mental illness and, and the difficulties that come along that way. Well, today, we're going to continue on in this series, and we're going to take a look at where God is at in the midst of of all this pain. And in other words, we're going to be uh, formulating a little bit of a theology of pain. And, and all that means is that we're going to find out where God is at and how he works in the midst of pain, because how God works and understanding that will determine how we respond to those things. Matter of fact, I heard of a guy, and he's having a conversation uh, with God, and he said, uh, I, I asked God for a bike, but I know he doesn't work like that, so I stole it and asked him for forgiveness. Yeah. You see, how we understand God works is how we act and respond, and, and this is no more uh, needed than in this case of, of pain. We need to know where God is at and how he's working in the situations and pain of life because the reality is not a single one of us is immune to pain and suffering and evil in this life. As the great theologian Wesley uh, stated, not John, but, but this guy from Princess Bride, he says, life is pain. <laughs> Hide us, right? Anyone who says differently is selling you something. Pain is, is the norm in this life. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, it, it happens. Matter of fact, tens of thousands of people die every day in unexpected tragedies. And from those tragedies, hundreds of thousands of people mourn the losses of those loved ones. Life is filled with disappointment and insecurities and heartache, and death, and sickness, and they all contribute to the pain of life. Pain sucks, quite literally. Actually, when, when we experience pain, the physiological response to that is to suck in air, in, inhale briskly, right? And in the midst of trying to catch our breath, oftentimes we exhale these kinds of questions. What is, why is this happening to me? If you're anything like the rest of us, these are the questions you wrestle with. Uh, where, where is God in the midst of all this? Why is God not helping me? How do I get through this? How do I move past this? And the question that we're really going to wrestle with today is, if God is good, then how? How in the world, in the midst of the pain that I see, in the midst of the pain that I'm experiencing, can there be a God who actually loves me and is good? You know, this is actually an age-old argument. It's one that's been debated for centuries, and, and here's how it goes. Uh, many have used the presence of evil to disprove the existence of God. Uh, this argument does not disprove God, however, uh, neither can it prove God. But what it does do is it causes us to wrestle with how we see God, his characteristics. And, and we start to ask questions, and these are questions that we need to ask. But is God good? Or, or is he some kind of manichistic being in, in heaven that delights whenever he watches us suffer? And if, in fact, he's good, then, then is he powerful enough to do something about pain and evil and suffering in this life? I mean, why does he choose to intervene in some places and, 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 and omit himself in others? 
Now, guys, I, I can honestly tell you this. I don't have all the questions to all those answers. And, and I'm confident of uh, the fact that I will not sufficiently answer the questions to these, or the, uh, answer these questions sufficiently for you in the time that we have together today. I might not be able to do that if you give me a couple hours to have a conversation with you because these are hard, hard questions. But this is what I do hope happens. I hope that we're able to come to some conclusions that will help you to better deal with the pain in your life and to see where God is at in the midst of all that pain. Because that will help you then ultimately to respond to this. Now, um, we're going to get to this debate. We're going to talk about this issue of morality. But before we do that, uh, we, we need to, we need to kind of have some baselines um, based on our biases. You may or may not realize this, but, but all of us have kind of a predisposition to our view and our, our thoughts of God based upon the time frame that we live, uh, this region of the world that we live, and the culture that we are exposed to. And, and I think we need to call those things out before we, we even get into the argument because that, that might help us to understand our starting point, our baseline. And one of the things that you need to know um, about us, our predisposition, is that our culture is pain adverse. What I mean by this is uh, we run from any inkling of pain. Now, it, it's, it's okay um, to not want pain, all right? I mean, that's kind of the natural response. It's like, that's painful. I don't want to do that. I don't want to experience that. I'm going to avoid that. But our culture has actually gone to the far extent of this. If, if truth be told, uh, really, our, our God these days is, uh, is security and safety. That's what we run after. That's how we devise our life. Anything that's going to push us outside of our, our zone of comfortability or challenge things or potentially have pain, we avoid at all cost. See, generations that lived before us, they experienced and expected pain, and therefore they dealt with it differently. Now, because we're so pain adverse, when it does actually happen in our life, we really just don't know how to deal with it. It's, it's one of the reasons why we see such high rates of, of people taking their lives these days and high rates of depression and despair. It's because we just don't know how to deal with pain. That, that's one of the things. And, and I tell you what, if, if you don't believe that that's true, um, your prayers give it away. When you start praying uh, for people or about yourself, think about how many times you pray for safety and for security and for, not, for, for bad things not to happen to other people in your life because we automatically assume that pain is bad just because it's not pleasant. All right, continuing on, one of the other things we need to understand is that when we experience injustice and evil in this world and we blame God because of it, what that means is that you're actually beginning with the notion that God is good and can do something about it. You are actually starting with a Christianized framework of, of who God is and how evil works in this life. Okay, now we are, we are no longer a Christian nation, we are a post-Christian nation, but that doesn't mean that our worldviews are not shaped by these things. What you need to understand is that uh, most of the world uh, that lives around us and other world religions, they don't have the same kind of notion or, or response to this. When injustice happens in the world, they don't look to God and blame him. His righteousness is not, is not the thing that's in question. They just understand that he's God. He can do what he wants. In the story, we have to deal with it. We start, though, with the notion that God is good and that he can do something about it. That is why we get so upset and frustrated because we're trying to figure out how does God actually work in these situations. Uh, the other thing that we start with is we, ha we have an unstated assumption that it's God's job to create a world that benefits us. 
that somehow this, this life, this world is actually for our benefit. The problem with that is that God never states this in his revealed word. He never communicates this to his people. Uh, a matter of fact, he, he actually speaks to us differently. When Jesus comes, he says, guys, understand in this world, you will have trouble. You will have pain, especially if you follow after me. And that's going to happen. He doesn't promise us a painless life. But what happens is when we have that perception and we start to incur pain, it causes us to go, God, I thought we had this deal. You know, I serve you, I follow you, nothing bad happens in my life. That's not how it works, and that's not how he created it. Last thing that we just need to establish. Um, there are different types of pain and suffering in this life, most of which we have some, some buckets or containers to kind of place them in and deal with them. Uh, things like um, bad behavior. We understand that when we have bad behavior, oftentimes it results in bad consequences. You know, I, I smoked all my life and now I've got throat cancer. We understand that. There's, there's some kind of comprehension. Uh, we also understand brave behavior. Uh, now, as noble as it is, uh, when somebody steps in and takes the place of somebody else uh, or steps up for something that they know is not right, and in, as a result, they actually uh, get pain and suffering inflicted upon them. We understand that a little bit. Our military, who steps in day in, day out, goes to great extents. They put themselves in a place of pain and suffering on behalf of others because they know what is right and good and true, and they are willing to defend that. That's brave behavior. We at least have a category to put that in. But the thing that we all struggle with is when there's seemingly senseless suffering. Try to say that three times fast. It's really hard, okay? Seemingly senseless uh, suffering. When we don't have a bucket to put those things in, it causes us to ask questions like, is God even good? And that's what we're going to deal with. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a guy, and his name's C.S. Lewis. He's a famous atheist. And uh, he used to make this argument um, that the Christian God, the God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, that is all-loving and good, cannot exist because there's actually evil in the world. That was his argument. Now, follow me with this a little bit. We're going to get a little bit intellectual and heady on this. But um, here's the deal. That premise is a little bit flawed. And, and here's why. Because basically uh, what C.S. Lewis is making an argument for here is that because he does not have an understanding of why this bad thing is happening, that there is no possible or plausible reasoning that it actually could be something good. It, it, it's starting with kind of an arrogant um, framework. In other words, because I can't see any redeemable factor in this, um, that there is not a God that can actually tell me that there's something redeemable about this. Okay, now that's not the thing that ultimately caused C.S. Lewis to, to make a turn in his life. But understand this a little bit. Think, think, think about this in your own life. Have you ever had something terrible, awful happen in your life that in that moment you just could not see anything redeemable about this? It's the hardest thing that you've endured. It's, the, it's a bad thing. You don't see anything that, that could possibly good come out of that. And then years down the road you look back on that situation and all of a sudden you realize that you've become better because of this. I can tell you that, and I know you all relate to that because I see it all the time as a pastor. And I have conversations with people. I had a friend of mine who went through um, a, a terrible situation in his marriage. Um, and there was an affair, and it was one of those points that they were going to break and they were going to be done. And, and uh, somehow, some way, God saw them through this. And, and they look back now on that situation. And, and what they say is this, I would not wish that on anybody. And at that time, I could not see any redeemable factor. But we know that we are now where we're at in the best place we've ever been, in large part because of the pain that we endured at that moment. There, there's actually, uh, there's lime trees that are down in Florida 
uh, and uh, these produce people, they've seen this thing happen. What happens is, is after a hurricane comes through, the next summer when uh, the harvest comes, those lime trees that survived the hurricane actually produce five times as much fruit. Why? Because they endured the pain. They were forced to grow deeper, and because of that, more fruit came from them. Okay, but this is this is the interesting part with C.S. Lewis and, and his argument as he see process through this. This didn't this didn't change it, but that same atheist would later make a remarkable conclusion as he played out the argument from a different angle. Instead of, of focusing on evil and why there couldn't be a God, he would start to ask the question: Why is anything good in the first place? He, he started to have this trouble at being able to justify the fact that he could actually make a distinction between good and evil in the first place, unless there was something that actually made an absolute definition of those facts. And as he wrestled with this further, ultimately he came to the conclusion that the only way that you could have uh, good and evil, and and that to be definite, would be to have an absolute good. And his conclusion was that God was the very definition of that absolute good. Now, let, let, me, let me give you an illustration to help you uh, understand this concept a little bit. Um, uh, Danette, do you mind uh, uh, turning down the lights, dim the lights here in the room real quick? So if you have a purse, you probably want to hold on to it real tightly right now, okay? I know we're in church, but... All right, so here we go. Is it dark in here? Yes, yes. Okay, well, it's darker, right? Because dark is actually relative to light. We, we, we had a lot of light and then we, we dimmed it and now we have a little bit of light. But if you sit here long enough, your eyes will actually start to focus and you'll be able to see in here. Uh, if it was completely dark, your eyes won't adjust because it needs light to be able to see. And so it is darker, yes. But, but if you'll notice, I didn't say, can you turn on the dark, right? Um, I didn't say, can you insert some dark to the room? No, I, I said, can you turn down the lights, you see, dark is simply relative to, to light. It actually doesn't exist outside of the concept of light. Light gives it its very definition. Dark is simply the absence of light. You can turn up the lights. So in the same way, uh, that, that's the same way that, that heat and cold work. Heat is all that actually exists. In the absence of, of heat, you actually get cold. In a very similar way, this is how we look at good and evil. In the absence of good you actually have evil. It's just the same as light and dark. Matter of fact, the Bible makes this this correlation between good and evil by using the concepts of light and dark to help us understand it. And as C.S. Lewis came to the determination that the only thing that actually could define good is God, the Bible tells us that God is good. He's the very definition of good. Therefore, he is the light. He is the light. Uh, let me give you a little bit more uh, context and illustration in this. Uh, if I was to ask you, is lying bad, what would you say? Okay, if anybody around you didn't answer that question, you probably need to question them, okay? So lying is bad. Now, wh- why is lying bad? Think about this. Why is lying bad? It, it, well, it can hurt people's feelings, right? It's deceptive. But, but lying is, it can also be beneficial to some extent. I can actually hurt I can keep from hurting somebody's feelings, you know. Hey, honey, do I look fat in this? No, baby, not at all, you know. So, uh, right, right? I, I can make a lot of money by lying. I can, I can do really well in politics by lying. So there could be some per- personal benefit to this, but does that make it good? Does that make it right? The question we have to ask is, why is lying not good? And this is what we know. Lying is not good because of its relationship to God. God is truth. 
And so when we do anything contrary to the very nature of God, when we proactively tell a lie or we withhold the truth, what we're doing is, is we're shunning the light and inserting the dark. We are shunning that which is good and right and true, and we're actually inserting evil. And when you insert evil, you insert pain and you insert suffering into the world. Now, you could go down the whole list of all the attributes of God and, and, and take a look at these things. We, we, we say, is it, is it bad to steal? Yeah, it's bad to steal. Well, why is it bad to steal? Well, because God is provision. He's the giver of all good gifts. So when, when we proactively take something from somebody else or we fail to provide for somebody when we have it in our means, we're actually doing something contrary to the very nature of God. Insert evil. Is murder bad? Yeah, murder is bad. Why? Well, because God is life. He's the source of life. He's the giver of life. He's the only one that can give and take life. So when we proactively take life or we do things that don't promote the sanctity of human life, what we're doing is something contrary to the very nature of God. Insert darkness. Insert pain. Insert suffering. Evil is simply the absence of good. Or stated different, it is anything that is contrary to the very nature of God. Now, a quick side note here. Um, one of the things that we do is we talk about Satan a lot when we talk about evil, when we talk about pain and everything else. Uh, but let me ask you this. Who is the opposite of, of Satan? It's not God. I'm not going to have you answer that because I don't want you to be wrong. Okay? It's not God. And here's why. Because Satan is a created being. He's an angel. The opposite of Satan is actually uh, the archangel Michael. See, Satan is not the thing that stands between you and God. He just happens to be a proactive adversary between the sin that stands between you and God. And that sin, we know, is what causes the pain and suffering in this world. It is not a reflection of whether God is good or not. It is actually a reflection of our unwillingness to conform to his character. So here's what we know. God is the very definition of good. Okay? And this is what we also know. God doesn't accomplish his purposes by causing others to sin because that would be against his very character and his nature. But in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our mistakes, we do know that God is still able to use those things, even though they cause so much pain and suffering, to ultimately fulfill his purposes and accomplish his purposes. That same atheist who turned into one of the leading Christian theologians of his day, C.S. Lewis, says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, I know that if you're anything like me, that actually leaves me with more questions than it does with answers, uh, because then it causes me to start asking this question, well, if God is good, then does he, does he cause the bad things that happen in my life, or does he simply allow those things to happen in my life? Now, this is a huge theological question in the Christian realm, and so I am just, I, do you mind if I just answer that for you all today? Does God cause pain, or does he allow pain? You all ready for this? I'm going to solve all the problems of your theological wanderings, okay? Ready? Yes. That's it. Yes, he does. When you look at Scripture, you can't help but see that sometimes God is proactively in the midst of this, and sometimes he is reactively saying, I'm just going to allow this to happen. So, so does God cause it or allow it? I think he does both. We see that happening. Now, in order for me to understand this better, it, it, uh, Hebrews 12 actually puts this in a perspective where I'm able to see an illustration to help me out. And this is what it says. It says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. 
For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. You endure the divine discipline. Remember that God is treating you as his own children. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the very best that they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. You see, what this passage does is it puts us in perspective of God as a father. And what we know that the role of a good father is or a good parent is is not always to keep their kid from pain. You can't do that. Your job is to help them navigate it. Sometimes your job as a good parent is actually to either inflict or allow them to go through the pain. If, if you're actually engaging with them in this, that's, that's how it works. Matter, matter of fact, I, uh, uh, I've got this beautiful little daughter. She's about two years old, and uh, she is a perfect angel until she decides she doesn't want to be. And so um, her name's Clover, and she's sitting in her high chair. I'm just going to demonstrate this for you a little bit. She's sitting up in her high chair, and she gets to where she's, she's wanting to put her feet up on the table and push back. All right? You all can see where this is going, right? So, so she wants to push back, and, uh, and I keep seeing, like, she's going she's gonna to fall over in this chair, and she's going to get hurt. And so I start reprimanding her, and I start telling her, no, Clover, you can't do that. And I even smack her feet a couple times and, like, try to inflict some pain on her so she understands, like, this is not going to end well for you, right? Uh, and so uh, like, I remove her from the table, and she screams at me, and, and so I'm trying to remove her from the situation, and she wants to go back to the table. And so finally, I do what any good dad would do. And I push her over. No, I'm just joking. I didn't do that. That's, that would be terrible. That would be terrible. Don't do that. Uh, okay, so what I did was I said, okay, I've, I've, I've cautioned her. I've reprimanded her. I've inflicted pain on her as much as I can to try to get her to understand this. She's just going to have to learn this on her own. I don't want her to go through that, but sure enough, I'm in the other room, and all of a sudden I hear this thud followed by a cry. And unfortunately, I wasn't in the room at the time, but luckily her brother came to her rescue and he brought her to me, her father, so that I could help her and love on her in the midst of her pain that she caused herself. (laughs) Just because we inflict pain on others, we tell on them because they're hurting themselves, we allow them to go through things that we know that they shouldn't go through. We tell them a hard truth. We spank them if they're our own kids. That doesn't mean that we are a bad parent. And that doesn't mean that God is either. Guys, you have to understand, God is infinitely wiser and better than you and I. And he is a good father. He cares for us. And so if, in fact, you're going through something difficult, whether it's something he's causing or something allowing, there's something on the other side of that. Now, having this intellectual conversation, sharing some illustrations, that might help you have a better perspective on pain and where God is in all this. But to be honest with you, it doesn't necessarily help you deal with it. It doesn't make it any better or easier. And I understand that an intellectual argument on this may be insufficient. Just like Job, when he's having his conversations with his friends, they come around him. and, And a lot of times in the book of Job, as his friends are speaking, they're speaking truth to him. But truth apart from grace is a miserable comforter. It's a miserable comforter. And so um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to put some flesh on this subject. I'd like to put some faces to the pain that we experience. And in order to do that, I want you to, to watch this video of this couple's pain story. My name's Sarah. And my name is Gabe. And this is our pain story, I guess. Um, 
Our pain started at 16 um, when I became pregnant um, with the boy next door. Um, we were not dating at the time, um, and so naturally um, we didn't have a lot of support um, going into it. Um, most people didn't want us to have the baby, um, and I knew that I was going to have her, um, and so we made the decision to, to keep her and to try to start our family at 16. Each one of our kids has been diagnosed with major illness infractions. Uh, the bill started to pile up and we had to file bankruptcy at 21. We moved to Phoenix, Arizona to try to reestablish ourselves. He got a great job out there and everything really seemed like it was going well. Um, and it did go well, but for a very short period of time. Um, and then he unfortunately lost his job after about two years of being in Phoenix, um, which forced us to leave our home and our family um, and eventually land in Colorado um, where we had no one and knew nothing um, and we're still struggling with how to be a family you know at 24 years old with absolutely nobody. So around the same time as moving to Colorado was Sarah's uh, first back surgery attempt. Um, from that failure, failed back surgery um, she actually had a pain uh, management doctor who started to d prescribe her uh, pain pills, opiates to be precise. Um, from that, with the chaos of life, um, I went back to things that I knew and I started my addiction to opiates through my wife. Yeah, so I was aware of his addiction um, and I had done everything I thought to do. I locked him up, I bought safes, I bought, um, I, I, I tried everything. Um, I believed him when he said he was gonna stop. Um, and then in February of 2013, um, I was in a bad car accident that, that resulted in several injuries that re required pretty extensive surgeries. Um, and from that, they found what would be my first of many tumors um, and would lead to 14 surgeries um, in less than three years time. Um, and you know, during this time, Gabe, Gabe's addiction um, was getting worse, um, and we were growing in completely different directions. Um, I, we, we didn't talk anymore. We didn't communicate. I, I was too sick to care about him, and he was too addicted to care about where I was. Um, um, from that, I had to try to get better from my family, and that was its own pain. Um, we started to detract from friends and family because we didn't want them to allow them know what was really going on. Um, we started to disassociate from church because we didn't want to put on that church mask to allow everybody else to know what was really going on in our lives. You know, we sat down with our kids. We told them we were getting divorced. Somehow, we, after, you know, Gabe really started working and I had met the legal requirements for him to move back into the home, um, he moved back in in August. Um, after he had moved back home, um, we unfortunately lost our house to a flood. Um, and during that process, Gabe was injured um, and was forced to take the pills that he had tried so hard to avoid for um, so long. And I, I got through the surgery okay. Um, and then on the 27th of December, um, I realized that I had missed Christmas with my kids for the second year because of my sickness. 
And so I decided that I was going to go to rehab where I watched two people die and a little girl who was younger than my own um, was my roommate and um, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. So, you know, in that process and knowing that, you know, I have another tumor and that I have to go through all of this again for what's gonna be my 15th surgery um, in less than three years, um, it's hard, it sucks. My name is Sarah. And my name is Gabe. And this is our pain. Will you guys welcome Sarah and Gabe to the stage? Here at Trace, one of the things that we do is we celebrate vulnerability. And uh, for these guys to be willing to share their thoughts and their story on video um, is, is something to be celebrated. And they're, they're here today. And uh, I know this is tough for you guys. And so um, I, I appreciate you being here. And I just know that these guys are supportive of you. Um, but let me just, let me just recap. Um, you all shared a little bit from like age 16 until now. Um, but just in the last six months, in the last six months, you guys have been through the pain of separation, uh, leading possibly to divorce, having conversations with kids, uh, ultimately reconciling only to have your house uh, forced, you'd be forcibly removed from your house because of a flood and a situation there. In the midst of that, um, while you're trying to move, you rupture your bicep. Now you are uh, out of a job and back on the pain medications that you're addicted to, which causes all sorts of issues. Uh, kids have gone through uh, several surgeries. You find out that there's a tumor again. You go to rehab. You watch people die. Is anybody else overwhelmed by the last six months of these guys' lives? I mean, whew, pain. Sucks. Now, if anybody would have reason to question God's goodness in the midst of this, it would be you all. Um, but let me, let me just ask you and, and allow you to answer for these guys. Uh, when we experience pain, we tend to either lean in or lean away from God. So uh, how has the pain that you all have experienced, how has that affected your relationship with God? Uh, watching that over is rough. I'm telling you what. But... Uh... For me, I didn't grow up in the church, right? Uh, I just recently got baptized in 2009. But so my understanding was to lean into my earthly pleasures, to understand that I'm going and trying to find that, uh, to fill my void with people, uh, my sin, as well as uh, just my understanding of what the world is. And ultimately... I failed and crashed and burned, as you can see on the, on the video. Um, but when I understood the commitment it took for me to actually lean in on God, that's when the shame disappeared. Like, even though it's rough to hear, I have no shame in what I did. Hmm. I, I understand what happened, um, and there is a purpose. But ultimately, my shame disappeared. Uh, the grace of God showered upon me, as well as the hope of a new tomorrow uh, was built upon that. So that's what happened with me. First, I didn't lean in, crashed and burned, and ultimately I was able to lean in to open arms with, with God. Awesome. Well, Sarah, how would you answer that? How does this affect your relationship with God? Um, I mean, I... Is my on? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's on. You're good. Okay. 
Um, I'm not as good of a talker as him. I'm a writer. So, um, you know, for me, I was raised in the church. Um, and so I was taught to lean into God. Um, I was taught to deal with pain by going to him. Um, and at 16, clearly I did not do that. Um, and then life, you know, really kind of taught me something different. And that was that at times it was easier to lean away from him because it didn't make sense. Um, but ultimately, you know, in just walking the last three years, and like Corey said, the last six months um, have been the hardest of our lives. Um, and what God has done in my life, in my vulnerability and leaning on him and his church and his people um, is, is provide a strength that I don't have on my own. Um, and so, you know, while there are times when I'm like, okay, God, I don't get it, um, he makes it very clear every single time why I need him and that I can't do this without leaning on him. And so both of you guys coming from different church backgrounds, not church at all and being church, you came to the conclusion that leaning in to God was really your only option. And so it's, you'd say it strengthened your relationship with God, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So let me ask you this question then because um, you all have had a disproportionate amount of pain in your life. I, I think we have this, this perception that, you know, if God was good, then he would at least like spread it out, you know, amongst people. Um, but you all have endured a ton of it. If anybody would have a case for looking at God and saying, I don't think you're good, um, it, it would be, it'd be you guys in this situation. Let me ask you this. How do you come to the conclusion that God is good, that he really does care about you in this situation? So if I had to sum up all that story and what the story doesn't uh, or the video doesn't um, do justice on is like the hard conversations, the fights, and every other little tidbit that goes along between it. Uh, but the one word that comes to mind is perseverance. Like he allowed me to go through this to, to persevere it so that ultimately I would seek him through the tribulation. Um, I, I do the uh, analogy of, you know, a little boy sitting on a beach and he's pushing out his uh, boat onto the water. And as the boat drifts out, it goes too far, the boy then starts throwing rocks just in front of the boat so that it would create those ripples, the pain, the suffering, the tribulation, to then have that boat come back towards shore. So for me, it's the, the seeking out God through the struggle to persevere and see hope in the midst of the pain. The pain, like Corey said, pain is real. Pain sucks, but there's a hope through the faith in God that we can get through it mm -hmm. because he's the only one that's able to pull us out of the muck. I couldn't have done this all myself. Like going through that pain, that hurt, uh, causing that pain and that hurt, I personally could not have done it alone. There's no way I would have given up. I would have did the microphone drop <laughs> and just rolled out. But with his help, I was able to persevere and overcome. And I know whatever life throws at me, I know there's going to be more. Uh, I'm able to get through it. Now, that, that may not be like a huge apologetic argument for the rest of us, right? But when, when you're going through the crap in life that it offers, uh, and you know that like, you would be tempted just to let go and, and be done with things. Um, and having somebody else, a, a power and essence of being a god, who actually stands alongside of you and helps you through that, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that it was God's presence that helped you persevere through this. Um, that is a testimony 
that speaks to your heart and it firms up your faith and, and hopefully it provides hope for other people. So perseverance is how you, you would say that you know that God is a good God and he's been with you through this. Sarah, what, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I would say for me, um, I've really had to get to a place of, of understanding where he was in all of it. Um, but for me, ultimately, my pain is what led to my peace. Um, and, you know, there's a verse that I think about all the time, because <laughs> I need to. Um, Isaiah 53, 5, where it talks about how Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our inequities, and punished for our peace. And so for me, I'm so reliant on his grace and his strength and his forgiveness and everything else that I feel like to not be accepting of his peace would would be incredibly unjust as a Christian. Um, and so, you know, I... You know, the peace I have isn't dependent on my diagnosis or my outcome, my marriage, or anything else, and it's certainly not anything the world would understand, and it's not something I understand most of the time, um, but that's how I know that it's God. Um, and I don't know, you know, I always say this, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know if I'm going to live to be old, but I know who, who holds it, um, and so there's peace in that. Um, and I would, I would choose every single hard thing I've been through to have the peace and trust that I do now in Jesus. Wow. Thank you for, for sharing that, Sarah and Gabe. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so the, the reason why you would say that God is good is because he's helped you persevere. The reason why you would say that you know that God is good is because he's given you a peace that surpasses understanding. In the circumstances of life and whatever everybody else would see, uh, they would sit in there and go, Sarah, why in the world can you still have a joy and you have a hope? Can you be, have a peace? And it's, you know without a shadow of that, that's because of God and his goodness. So uh, give it up for these guys and their willingness to, to share their story. Thank you all so much. Guys, um, here's the, the other side of the argument is this. Uh, abandoning faith and belief in God... Um, it doesn't resolve any of the problems of pain. It's an option. It's, it's a place that you can go, but it's only going to lead you to having to try to find other things to solve those problems for you. And, and actually abandoning faith in God eliminates some very valuable resources for facing the pains and struggles in life. I, I, would, I would venture to say that uh, some of the greatest pains that you've experienced in your life have not been due to the initial pain uh, that incurred that that discomfort, but rather the pains that, that, that came upon you because of the things that you ran to or the God that you ran from. Now, here's what I know. God is good, but we've not dealt with the other side of this problem. If God is good, then he's, is he powerful enough to do something about it? And so a, a good God deals with pain. He doesn't have the option not to. If he's good, he has to deal with pain. And this is what I've got to tell you. God has a plan to deal with pain, and it's twofold. And here it is. His plan to deal with, the, with pain is the cross, and it's his church. It's, it's, it's the cross, and it's his church. Let me walk through this with you. The cross dealt with the eternal side of suffering, while the church is meant to deal with the temporal. And so with the remainder of time that I have with you today, um, as we conclude this, let me talk to you about these two things. The cross. Understand this. Um, we as followers of Jesus or pursuers of Christianity, however you want to call yourself, uh, we serve a God who's got scars on him. Ponder that for a minute. An all-powerful being who doesn't have to have any interaction with that which is his creation, who can sit up in the heavenly glories 
and avoid all pain and suffering has wounds. As a matter of fact, we see in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Guys, that is the type of God that we serve, one who, who didn't remain in the heavenly realms but put on flesh and came to be among us, who endured the pain and the temptations and the suffering that each and one of us incurs in this life. He understands us, and that is the very reason that God can be trusted in the midst of your suffering and pain, because he himself has suffered. And not only has he suffered the things that you guys have suffered, but he's suffered things that you and I probably can't even possibly imagine. Matter of fact, is he's, he's hanging on the cross, Suffering for the, for the sins of, of the world, your, your and I's bad mistakes, our sins. As he's doing that, he quotes from Psalm 22. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he experiences the pain of separation from his father that he's never experienced in all of history. And as he's breathing in the pains of the world and paying our punishment for sin, God is turning his face away from him and pouring down his wrath of the world on him for our sakes. And he breathes in, he sucks in the pain of the world. And as he exhales, it's not a question, but a statement, a definitive one. And he says this, it is finished. You see, at that moment on the cross, he not only died for the the sins of this world and made it available for you to be with the Father in heaven, but he also took care of the pains and, and suffering in this world. At that moment on the cross, it was the eternal solution to the problem of pain. And we see that in Revelation 21, when this will ultimately be played out. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his God. God himself will be with them. That is heaven, by the way, is the very presence of God. And he says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain because all of these things are gone forever because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, here's the deal. In the meantime, God has the power to take away the pain and suffering in your life. He may or may not do that. I don't know because I'm not God and I don't know how he's using this. But I do know this. There is a day that is coming that there will be no more pain and sorrow and tears. And whatever you're facing, if you can persevere and if you can hold on to the peace, it will be gone. God deals with the pain of this world through the cross. But what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Guys, I truly believe this. God's solution to the problem of pain in the interim, in the temporary, is his church. The church is God's plan for the temporal for dealing with the pain. And, and the church has stepped up in many ways throughout history, running into pain and not away from it. Uh, seeing needs and creating hospitals and schools and centers for care and resources and taking care of the poor, that is what they have done. As a matter of fact, many people have come to the faith of Christianity because Christians deal with pain better. They understand that there's a purpose behind this. They understand that there's a God who has suffered because of it. They actually came to Christianity because of them being able to deal with pain. But i got to tell you, I'm not sure that that statement could be said of the American church today. I just don't think it can be. Now, I want to share something with you. It's probably not going to make a whole lot of sense to you immediately. I promise there's a point to this. But, but this is what I want to, uh, what I want to say. The, the average church member today in the American church gives about 2.5% of their income to the church. 
okay? 2.5%. Um, as, as income has increased throughout the years um, in our nation, giving has actually decreased in the giving to the church. Just to give you an understanding of this, at the height of the Great Depression, giving was over 3.3% um, per person. It's, it's less now than it was at the height of the Great Depression. And of that 2.5% that people give to the church, only about 2% of that actually goes to meeting needs worldwide, about six cents a day per person. That's very minimal. It's not a whole lot. Now, let me ask you this. What if the American church, and just the American church, what if they were faithful and they brought the whole tithe to the, the storehouses of God, to the church? Studies tell us this. They put numbers to it. It would be about $168 billion dollars in excess. If, if the church was simply faithful, I'm not talking about generous. I'm not talking about sacrificial. I'm talking about faithful. And again, guys that are a lot smarter than me have done these statistics. They put money to some of the biggest needs that we have in the world. And this is what they say. $68 billion could eliminate the most extreme poverty in the world. $6 billion could take care of universal primary education. $9 billion could provide clean water for the entire world. $13 billion for basic health and nutrition. I'm not a great mathematician. They didn't offer Bible college math. It didn't happen there, okay? But if you put these numbers together, 168 is more than the rest of those numbers combined with excess left over. Guys, are you getting the picture? If we as a church were to be faithful to the plan that God laid out for us, we could actually eliminate some of the biggest issues of poverty and pain in the world. So why am I sharing this with you? We're, we're about to take offering. No, I'm just joking. That's not why I'm sharing it with you, okay? I'm sharing this with you because what if God's plan to deal with the pain in the interim was you? What if it was his church? What could a confusion hurting world say against a God whose followers were that compassionate and that considerate and that involved? What argument would they have? If the world sees God as evil or powerless, guys, we need to take ownership. We as his church are at some level to blame because we, the church, are actually part of his plan for dealing with pain. But on the other side of the argument, if the world saw people who dealt with pain and they saw that they had purpose and they saw them persevere and they saw a peace in them, the rest of this world would be desperately drawn to the God that we serve because they desire that. And what if they experienced a people who ran into and not away from pain, comforting the bereaved, caring for the sick, sacrificing for the poor? Guys, they could not imagine the God that we serve looking any different than the people that exemplify him. We, his church, are the temporary problem, a solution to the problem of pain. So in conclusion, here we go, guys. God is good, and he is a good father. And a good God deals with pain, and he has. He's done it through his cross, and he wants to do it through his church, and he wants you to be a solution to the problem of the pain. He wants you to enter in, to dive in, to talk about, to, to share your burdens and to bear other people's. So that people don't have to walk through this pain and this life alone. Will you pray with me? Father, I know there's a lot of a lot of content, a lot of information, a lot of theology, but we understand that it matters because it changes our perception, it changes our 
the way that we deal with pain. It gives us grit to be able to endure it, knowing that there's an end to it. Father, it gives us an understanding that there's, there's ways in which we can use it for purpose, which we'll talk about next week. Lord, we know that you are right there in the midst, that you have suffered just as we, maybe even greater, definitely greater than we have. And because of that, we know that you can be trusted. Thank you for being a God who has scars on him so that we know that our scars are are for some point. Lord, we love you, and we pray that you would help us and lift us through the pain that we are enduring right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.